Welcome to Level with Emily. This is music by John Everest for the Lamplighters League. And the music is an absolutely delightful blend of noir and adventure. And there's a pretty complex music system, too, that you'll hear John talk about later. It's a turn-based tactics tactics game. He'll explain that, too. And I just absolutely loved this soundtrack. Uh, great to talk with John about it. It's like 99% live musicians filmed at Abbey Road. So it was really fun to uh, talk with him about this. There's a trombone solo that's played by Daniel Romberger. Daniel's been on the show before because he's a member of the Game Brass. But anyway, this gorgeous trombone solo at the beginning of a track called Arctic Quiet I was 10,000% convinced it was French horn, so you get to hear me make that horrifying mistake. So sorry, Daniel. Such gorgeous playing, and what a great soundtrack. Join us on Discord. You can find us on YouTube. We are releasing episodes bi-weekly these days as I'm back to full-time work, so keep that in mind. And here is John Everest talking about the Lamplighters League. So Lamplighters League, the game concept is, uh, it's essentially an alternate 1930s. Um, it it uh, is after the Great War, World War I, and the concept is sort of um, this new occult force of authorit- authoritarianism is rising up again, uh, slowly up again around the world. And this um, misfit group of essentially ex-criminals um, are called together by a mysterious figure to fight against this sort of uprising of this dark force that's that's coming about again. And one of the phrases that Harebrain Schemes coined to me quite early in, in the process, they said, we want to have it be an idea of the best of the best are all gone. They were killed in the war. So we need to hire the best of the worst to come together to try to save the world. ne'er-do-wells, people that have done questionable things in their past. And, um, you know, I don't think they're like anyone. I don't think they're evil to their core or, or are irredeemable. And maybe they're coming together to earn their own redemption. But um, they're called together by a, a mysterious figure who essentially tells them that not only are these uh, authoritarian forces rising up, but they are after this sort of supernatural um, object that would make the whole world kind of bow to to their will. Um, and so there's like this slow unveiling of magic in the world. It's a very like science-based um, game to a certain extent. And, and the people in it don't necessarily even believe in magic, but they are slowly sort of have this unveiling of this nefarious world that they, um, that they come together to fight against.
So that's kind of like the high concept of it, but really generally it's, it's a, um, a squad-based uh, tactics game and um, you control a group of three or four people at a time. They all have like unique skills and abilities and um, you kind of stealth your way through uh, levels and also get into combat and um, yeah, lots of fun. Yeah, and and the music is you know orchestral, and I love that, of course. And I also just love the blend of the like film noir, jazzy kind of stuff with the adventure of the game, right? And so you get these massive, bombastic—I mean, within reason—bombastic uh, 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 sections where it's maybe combat or maybe it's a sweeping cinematic or something like that. But then there's like these pared down intimate moments, which are really fun too. And it just has this whole range. So I guess talk about the decision to uh, do the the blend of the kind of jazzy noir stuff at times with the ad- adventure style. Yeah, I mean, that it was uh, definitely a choice from I made from the very beginning. So they came to me, God, it must have been five years ago with a concept for this game. And they initially pitched it to me with an idea of, we think that it should have just a, a beginning to end um, of the era jazz score. And my instinct for that was one, uh, I'm not a jazz musician, uh, I'm not a jazz composer. So I was thinking, well, that sounds difficult and I, it's not really in my wheelhouse, right? Um, and I also thought, you know, with what they were telling me about the game and this rich, lore that they created and this this um, larger than life adventure that they were trying to go for. I thought really that 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 a strictly jazz score would would not kind of hit all the notes we needed to hit. Um, and of course, me growing up uh, really interested in, in film music, Jerry Goldsmith in particular, um, John Williams, of course, I really thought what this game, the core of this game, what they were shooting for was pulpy, noir, um, kind of larger than life cinematic action. And I thought for me, my instinct was to really latch on to the, the, um, that kind of genre or that era of, of film and tie, tie, my, um, tie myself to that as best I could while still having the freedom to sprinkle in a little pulp and jazz uh, in there when possible, also through the help of, of hiring people that are really brilliant jazz musicians. Um, yeah. For our main theme, for example, um, I pretty much let one of my good friends, Nick Toretta, come in to the, the middle of the piece and just sort of go for it. Um, we, we had recorded uh, three or four different instruments of him, saxophone, clarinet, flute, um, and, and I think a few others, and just let him wing it uh, in, in the middle of the piece. major themes that are kind of bookending this this um, uh, chance music of jazz improvisation. Um, 
but also focusing that the, the kind of the structure of the game is built on the larger than life adventure. And it really made sense to me too when I started to see the game unfold because the game is also um, has those characteristics. You're, the four people that you choose to play with, they sort of all embody a certain aesthetic and they bring something unique to the table. Um, and actually in the game, we can talk about this later because I'll just keep on talking, but the, <laughs> the game, each character is represented by an instrument. Um, so when you take control okay. of the character, you actually start to hear their instrument come into play. So it really has that kind of improv um, vibe to it. Uh, so yeah, I, I thought that that was kind of a great marriage of of um, of honoring the the jazz nature of the era, but not being too beholden to it, um, so that it became um, something I was reliant on. Yeah, yeah, I agree. The blend of it is just so well done. You you never get too much of one or the other, which, I mean, I don't know that I could in reality anyway, but I, I do think <laughs> the blend is really a strong part of the soundtrack. The other thing I love about the main theme is how you have the orchestra in straighter, non, non-swinging eighth notes and such, and then you do bring in the jazz swing on top of that, and then when you have, like, the trumpet solo playing in the straight way underneath the swing. I, I love that too. So um, yeah, it's just, it's really fun. That main main theme is really fun. But tell me, do tell me about what, what instruments, who represents what? Yeah, I mean, so we have, there's a lot of instruments in the game. We have 12 characters in the game. Um, and so that was really a challenge, I think, compositionally. Yeah. I had this idea pretty early on and I... Um, didn't want to make it be an incredibly obvious thing. I didn't want it to sort of hit hit you over the head each time you change to a character, just the clarinet would come in right away, you know, belting out. Um, so what I did, I ended up writing for just the ambient tracks, I wrote a set of sort of like backing tracks um, with the orchestra and um, really intended on writing them as full pieces of music. They even have their own solos in them already that are not represented by characters. Like for instance, we have solo cello everywhere. Um, solo saxophone is not represented by a character. So we have sax in there all the time as well. And then when we bring in the instrument, solo instrument of a character, it's either augmenting a melodic line, doubling it or, or harmonizing with it. Nice. Or it could be just doing some sort of, um, you know, there's a character called the Tief who's this, uh, he's a sneak. He's represented by clarinets or, or one clarinet. And so oftentimes when you switch to him, you'll just hear slight little staccato um, uh, kind of support going on in certain pieces of the ambience. And then oftentimes the system will just decide to not do anything. So I think from my perspective, I really wanted it to be so subtle that most people wouldn't notice that it was happening because it's so enmeshed into the composition itself. Um, and it was a challenge at times because most of these people are represented by wind instruments. So some of it is, is, mm. has a, has the possibility of getting buried within the mix, but I wasn't really too concerned about that because I, even if it was a little bit buried, the, the structure of the song changes a little bit. And I think the player subconsciously will latch onto that. Um, and 
it's been, I haven't seen any reviews yet mention that, that part of the game, which I am calling a success for the music <laughs> system because I really wanted it to be indistinguishable yeah. uh, to most people. One of the things that I noticed in the um, videos, which are on YouTube, go to YouTube, watch these videos, it's very cool. Um, the When you recorded the main theme, it looks like you had the full orchestra in there to, to do the recording of the main theme. You did not separate out the strings from the brass, from the percussion for that. So so talk about, talk about that. Well, actually, for that, I think that might have been just trickery of of, oh, of really? shots that we that we chose. But we did <laughs> we did stripe the session, but we did have um, our brass and wind and woodwinds were in in the same session together. Um, so oh, okay. strings were separate, brass woodwinds were together, and then we had a percussion session as well. Okay. But yeah, we did some uh, the editing uh, folks at uh, Liquid Crimson that we used did some. Yeah. Good editing, I think, for that. Then. Well done, for sure. Yeah, you fooled me because I was convinced. I'm like, wow, they they came together for the main theme. But I guess financially, that makes no sense. <laughs> and that's kind of what it, was it comes down we, to. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Especially <laughs> at at a place like Abbey Road, where it's, right? uh, every second counts there. Right. Yes. <laughs> um, so yeah, but we really wanted that the score to sound like it was recorded, like you know these touchstone classics that we all grew up yeah. uh, loving, and 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 wanted it to feel as if they were all recorded in the same room together for sure. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, really, really nice. Um, the other thing, uh, just hearing you say you're not a jazz musician, I mean, that's the best part about working with jazz musicians. It's their whole thing. Is You can just say, this is what I'm going for, and they can just do it, right? It's just, that's the best. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, and yeah, on top of that, the um, we, so we had Nick Toretta was was doing a lot of solos for us, um, and on we saxophone also worked and, with yeah saxophone and and clarinet and okay. flute, and he's a, he's a brilliant brilliant composer also, um, and just an amazing saxophone player. It's just incredible nice. to to hear him play. Um, Kristen Nigus did did okay. probably I think every single character soloist she did she also played sax uh, uh, as well um, and we had upright bassist and percussionist that was really cool to um, to watch and um, yeah. you know there's also a sense of improvisation in with the orchestral sessions themselves mostly for the percussion we were just kind of letting them absorb the track and told them like my intention for what I wanted what kind of vibe we wanted to go for and they were so excited and so thrilled to just bring out whatever they could think of to get a unique sound for us so there's one piece of music for Lady Nicastro that she's sort of one of these evil scions that's in the game and she's uh, like a seafarer swashbuckling sort of um, villain and I was trying to get the sound of like crashing waves going up and down for this one part during her piece. And the percussionist turned, we had an oil barrel there, there turned the oil barrel on its side and started 
drawing chains across it in a way that was had this like swelling effect that was just perfect. And it was something I could have never thought of with samples or, or just because, you know, I, I, I just couldn't imagine it. And because of their willingness to sort of improv on the spot, it was really awesome. John? Gosh, I would say I am, I play many instruments poorly is my, <laughs> my standard response to that. Um, but I did, I studied a bit of classical guitar in, uh, in school and I grew up, uh, uh, playing percussion, mostly a uh, drum kit. Um, but oh, yeah, wow. a little bit of piano here and there, but nothing, nothing close to passable as, <laughs> as, uh, <laughs> Uh, don't put me on a stage anytime soon. <laughs> I had a friend over last night, and and she looked down at the floor, and she saw a music case there, and she's like, "Is that a banjo?" And I was like, "Yeah, I can't play it. Yeah, <laughs> it's a banjo." <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, guitar. What an interesting approach that must give you to, I mean, harmony in one thing because guitars are tuned so weird, uh, but so it just opens up this different approach to harmony. I think than. Certainly you would if piano were a main instrument or bass even, really. Don't, do you think or how do you feel about that statement I just made? <laughs> yeah. I mean, for me, I have like a, an interesting history with music. So I grew up, I was always into music when I was young, um, but I never, I didn't ever go the classical study route as a child. So I, I was always in like rock bands and doing, making electronic music and stuff like that. Um, so I do think of music in, in, um, in a sort of non-traditional way or more of like a rock poppy way, electronica way. Um, and then I studied the, the classical composition side much later in life. So it's like I have kind of like my pyramid of music built upside down. Uh, <laughs> and um, it's works, it works, it's worked quite well for me in terms of like, you know, I'm, I, I am sometimes like the, the drunken master, I guess. You know, I'm not doing things like exactly correct, but like I'm sort of like finding a way to make things work. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, playing guitar, playing drums especially um, ha- has definitely helped, um, though I'm very out of practice with guitar, so I, I don't necessarily go to that uh, as often anymore. Okay, so you primarily uh, write on keyboard, you'd say? Yes, yeah, okay. write on keyboard um, and um, some notation, but mostly just, just keyboard. Yeah. Um, I'll write down ideas that I have from time to time by hand, but uh, it's all, all pretty much straight into the DAW for me. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, so that must have been Kristen on the bass clarinet at the beginning of Cloak and Dagger. There's just a really great bass. I mean, there are so many wonderful solo moments throughout the whole score, really. Yeah, Kristen is amazing. I mean, yeah. I, I work with her all, all the time. Um, she she just really gets gets it and she delivers stuff that is at in such like a ready to use quality it's like <laughs> blows my mind and she's very fast also we we i think i threw all 12 of these soloists at her 
and she got them finished in just like a few weeks of, of back and forth. Um, and she was incredibly busy at the time too. So I was like wow. biting my nails, like, you know, with my deadlines and stuff, wondering <laughs> if, if it, if it would happen. But of course she just nailed it. Everything she delivers is just like pristine. You know, you don't really have to do much. Just throw it in and maybe put a little bit of reverb and it's ready to go. And how about the trumpet soloist? Was that a, a one of the studio musicians, or was that someone, uh, you know, else? <laughs> yeah, the tr- the trumpet we recorded um, on the stage on the day, and gosh, okay. his name is escaping me. But um, yeah, it was it was. Um, I thought it was going to give us trouble because sometimes muted trumpet on a stage can sound. It's hard to to control in the mix, but it was beautiful and and it was uh, it ended up working quite well. Especially the Harmon mute that's so tint. I mean, it's that metallic zing, right? I mean, yeah, those are intense. And it can totally yeah. depend on what kind of mute they bring to. Like, if they bring the wrong, you know, brand of Harmon mute that doesn't have the sound you want or something, I can imagine that would be <laughs> problematic. Uh, really nice horn solos, too. Did horn represent a character? French horn? No, actually. That, okay. that was... That was one on my list of possible characters, but we ended up, I think, primarily because, though I'm sure she could play it. Actually, I think her brother is a horn Her brother player. plays uh, it, Chris, yeah. 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 So we, it was just, it, it it was difficult for me because we already had a lot of horn writing in, in the backing track, and it felt better to keep it strictly to woodwinds for, for most of the soloists. Yeah, really nice horn action at the beginning of Arctic Quiet, which which I love too, that, you know, the change of tone. And I assume these are maybe the stealthy tracks or the, the more ambient tracks are just have this really nice vibe. And Arctic Quiet is a, a good example of that. Talk about, you know, moving yeah. back and forth there like that. Actually, Emily, let me, because um, Arctic Quiet, I have to make oh, yeah, sure I no give worries. this person the right credit. Um, Arctic Quiet is actually an incredible trombone solo. And, um, oh, really? And was, oh, God. Yeah. And oh, I was, I'm horrified. I, I remember, I'm editing that out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, I wrote it and I, I sent it to him. And um, so 
the solo trombone on Arctic Quiet is um, by uh, Daniel Romberger, who oh, is yeah brilliant trombonist. Yeah, and um, he was recommended to me by my good friend Will Roger. I'd never um, recorded with a solo trombonist before, and I wrote 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 this line, and I thought to myself, this is going to be impossible to play well on trombone. It seems quite, um, just, it's very long, very legato, very, just quite high at times. And so I told him, I said, you know, feel free to tell me if this is just not idiomatic enough and, and we can, we can try some other stuff, uh, or do multiple takes. And he nailed it and his kind of control and getting those high notes and holding those sustains was incredible and that's like that he's the star of that track for sure because like you said that arctic quiet is really just an ambient track it's kind of kind of setting a um setting a tone for for where the characters are at at the moment and so his solo comes in very infrequently but when it comes in it really sets the sets the piece for sure. before because he's a part of the game brass so that's uh, right people people will recognize his name name from that yeah fantastic wow absolutely beautiful beautiful track uh yeah i mean talk about just the the first of all how much time you had to to write the music in the first place because you mentioned deadlines earlier which is always a thing i know yeah, um, it's interesting with Hairbrain Schemes. I've worked with them for probably ten years now, so I have an interesting relationship with them, where they bring me in very, very early. Um, so I, I think I first heard about this from them five years ago, and oh, wow. I actually wrote the main theme. I think four years ago, four and a half years ago, wow. and I wrote it based on just a concept. So they kind of sent me a very brief world building document uh, with some concept art and some ideas of what they wanted to reach for in the game. Um, and surprisingly it's, it's has stayed really, it stayed really accurate through the whole process of development, which is pretty rare, I think. Um, and so I wrote that main theme very, very early and the way that we like to work is they will typically kind of pitch me their, their story, I'll write some a suite of music for them, and then they use that as inspiration to keep on going, and then then kind of hit me up as they as they um, build out the 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 game. So there's there's periods of time at the beginning where you know I didn't didn't hear or have to to write um, too many pieces of music, but then you know the last two and a half three years is when it starts to get pretty pretty intense. Um, so yeah, it was a long, really long development period, um, and I, yeah, I feel very, very lucky that I get to 
um, work like that with, with harebrained schemes because I know it's quite rare to do that. So at the beginning, primarily you're getting art, and then do you then you start getting builds and, and things like that to play yourself or how, or video or how does that work? Yeah, at the beginning, it's really just all art. It's all mm -hmm. art um, and a lot of uh, world building lore. And so, harebrained schemes they traditionally have they really focus on narrative on, on writing. Um, uh, and so I get a lot of character backstories, character concept art. I really like to start with uh, learning about the characters first and then the world and then sort of like what they're reaching for. What, what do they want people to feel when they're playing the game? What, what kind of story are they trying to tell? Um, that's really all I have for a lot of the first few years of, of production. Mm. And then prototype will start to happen. And that's really when I will get builds of the game. Um, prototype is usually like a, what we call it a vertical slice where we're just kind of, pro they're proving out uh, uh, the experience of maybe one level or something like that. And so that's really exciting too, because once I understand what the game is shooting for, what they're aiming for, I start to design the music system. So I'm, I'm also involved in influencing how the music is going to interact in the game. And I think it, it works really well for me because I think that um, I, it's hard for me to divorce music from context, right? Because uh, to me, the music and the way I write the music, I appro I'm approaching it um, based on how it's going to be used in the game. Um, and I think that's why, you know, for this, for the, for Lamplighters League, knowing how the ambience was going to be set up with these four characters and that sort of thing that really, you know, set the track for the whole soundtrack. And so, um, for me with these sorts of projects where I'm the main composer, like I, I'm, I'm very interested in getting into understanding what the music system is and then even implementing the music and testing it out and making sure that it's, um, functioning correctly. Um, so yeah, it, it influences the whole, the whole process for me. Wow, yeah, that's really incredible because, of course, many composers either don't have the opportunity to do that or don't want to have the opportunity. They don't want to have anything to do with it. I mean, that's a complex thing yeah. to add to your plate. There are, there are times where I don't want to do it myself either. <laughs> um, or if it, you know, it's a, lot, it's a big task. Um, luckily, you know, for these sorts of games, they're relatively simple, I would say, to a certain extent. Um, you know, if, if there's no way I would be able to do music system implementation on, you know, a huge 3D AAA sort sure, of game. Sure, sure. But this, it, it is, I find it very creative to work on music systems. Um, and it just really does kind of, it changes the way my brain thinks about writing music for the game. Sure. Knowing how it's going to be be implemented. So it, it is, it has been, um, it was a, it was a great experience, and I did have I had uh, some help with implementation too. Uh, um, I had uh, 
Andy Frank um, is a great implementer who who helped me. I kind of build out the system and then then uh, bring Andy in and also Megan Carnes in to um, help me um, sort of deal with the massive task of um, wrangling thousands of wave files and getting them in wise and functioning correctly and making sure that everything is working right. So yeah, it, it wasn't just me for the whole time, that's for sure. Did you know from the start that you would have live orchestra and you'd be recording at Abbey Road, although those things can be mutually exclusive? No, I think, you know, it's it's kind of a, a constant battle um, of getting budget for, for recording. I, I knew they wanted to swing for the fences for this in terms of they were, they just wanted to go all out on music as much as possible which I love about them. And, and I yeah. think they, they, they have a lot of trust in me uh, um, to, to kind of try to deliver that. So really for me, I knew we had budget for recording, but um, I had no idea that we were going to be recording at Abbey Road. So that I, I didn't know that until th- three years into the project, maybe two or wow. three years into the project. Yeah. Um, and it was interesting because, you know, I... I sort of gave them, you know, the options of what I think would work well for this type of score in terms of live recording and budget tiers, you know, I guess is what, what, what I would say. And I sort of did it in a way it was like, you know, it's kind of like the Goldilocks thing. It's like we can we'll record in, in Budapest or, or Eastern Europe and it'll be amazing. The players there are brilliant and it's relatively inexpensive. And so we could get a lot done. Um, we could record in... Uh, Nashville, Nashville, brilliant players, amazing um, uh, space. And also, you know, they have a great pedigree for the type of music we want to record and they kind of could hit the style that we wanted to hit. And Abbey Road was like, they have it all. It's in the same space with all our touchstones are and like it's where all the legends were. It's these, it's just like, it's the cream of the crop, right? thinking they would go with Nashville, right? Because they, they're like, Abbey Road is way too expensive. That's crazy. You're out of your mind. Like, yeah. who do you think you are? Record Because I, I was like, I don't think I, I don't think I deserve to be at Abbey Road for this. <laughs> what? But <Come> they, <laughs> they were, they were just, they came back and they said, well, yeah, let's just go for it. I mean, wow. it, it, we, we had to make it a really focused um, recording process. But yeah, it was it was amazing. It was an uh, unforgettable experience. And I think for a game of this level to where it's, you know, we're not like AAA, but we're also not indie. It's kind of like right in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a really good use of the recording budget to just kind of go for it in those mom- in, in the moments that, that we needed it. And um, yeah, I think I think it just it pays off. And I think it's proof that um, re- recording live just pays off.
And so how many days did you have there? Two, one, two, three, how'd that work? Uh, we did uh, we did three days there. So we nice. did one day of, we did three sessions in one day. Okay. And then two sessions on day two and then two sessions on day three. Yeah. Okay. Neat. So um, just kind of packed it all in. And um, yeah, it was a big, big logistical, exciting, terrifying experience, but it was amazing. <laughs> it was mind blowing. <laughs> so I hope to be back very soon. Yeah. Do you ever consider conducting? Is that a thing you do or not at all? Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of a person that has, I do have like state, some stage fright and, uh, some, you know, fear of public speaking and that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm always encouraged by, by friends, my orchestrator, Nolan Markey, or my, uh, the person who conducted, um, for us, uh, Anthony Parther, who's a, an amazing, brilliant, genius conductor and good friend of mine. He was trying to egg me on to get up there to conduct, uh, one myself, but I was just, I was too focused on making sure that we were getting all the takes we needed and all yep. that stuff. Um, but yeah, he, you know, he's very encouraging of that sort of thing and, and thinks it's a worthwhile thing to do. But it is quite terrifying for me to do. I will do it, though, but, but yeah. you know, it's mostly just for the, the beauty shots, I would say. Is there, I'm sure there's post-production things that happened, but did you do any, like, coloring with any synth? I personally did not have an ear on that, so I, I can't say that I noticed anything, but I, you know, I've been wrong already today, so. <laughs> I, yeah, that was one of the my first things I said to, to Hairbrain Schemes was, I'm not going to use one synth on the whole entire Amazing. Um, track, the whole entire soundtrack. Um, so as you can see, I'm, I, I love synths. I have used synths on every score. And I, I, I think at that time when I was starting that, um, Lamplighters League, I was worried that people would see me as like, oh, he's the, he's the hybrid guy. He's the guy that mixes synths with orchestra. And that's like the only thing he, t he can do. And I'm like, I, uh, watch me try. I'm going to try my best to just do a full or orchestral score as best as I can. And, it was super, super fun and just like super rewarding and confidence building. And as a person that didn't grow up um, with like a really strong grasp on on the classical side of, of music, it was kind of a reaffirming um, process for me uh, to hear people that I really respect in the classical and, and, and um, orchestral world um, help me along the way and, and enjoy what I was writing. It was really, really great. Um, but as far as there are some uh, on the score, there are some processed um, recordings that we use. So there's like this period in the game where where things are kind of like the great unveiling is happening and weird magic stuff is going on. And so what I did was I took um, existing recordings from our sessions, so a lot of the string stuff especially, and 
ran it through a lot of like pulse stretching and and weird um, sort of synthetic processing on them. So they're they're actually um, recorded, uh, but mangled or processed. And I think the tracks that use those are. They're 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 at the very end of the score. I honestly can't even remember the, the name of the the <laughs> tracks at the moment. But yeah, um, they're just kind of like when things are getting weird, when you're getting into bizarro land uh, towards yeah. the end of the game, with, without spoiling anything. Are you working on anything right now that you can talk about? Um, I'm working on, yeah, I can talk about, I'm working on a lot of stuff for Overwatch 2 at the moment. Oh, um, fun. Still okay. doing, yeah, it's, they're a great crew, great team of people. Their music team is amazing. Derek Duke, Adam Burgess, um, and just they, so many composers get involved. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm helping them uh, do a bunch of stuff kind of on a, a uh, monthly or bi-monthly basis. There's continuing kind of world that they're they're doing over there, and then working on a lot of really cool things that unfortunately I can't talk about yet. But I think um, in the next, uh, gosh, wait, it's almost oh, it is December. Oh my gosh! Yes, happy December first, um, everyone. Well, wow. I mean, obviously this won't air, but <laughs> <laughs> wild, gosh, yeah. Um, yeah. So in the next two or three months, I think. I'll be able to to talk more about it. So okay. I'll keep you posted. Now, do you live in Barcelona or are you there working? Live here full time now. We, oh, wow. uh, my wife and I moved here uh, just about seven months ago now. Okay. So we moved from Seattle. My wife got a job opportunity here and um, just kind of went for it. Wow. It's funny how just over the course of the conversation, because you mentioned that you were in Barcelona... Uh, when I said good morning, you're like, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and I just immediately assumed you must be there recording. But then I started, you know, I noticed the synth rack <laughs> in the background. I'm like, oh, is he in someone else's studio? And then I'm like, maybe he just, maybe that's his place. So, okay, well, that's <laughs> interesting. What do you think of it there? Um, I, I love it. I mean, it's always, I've always had a weird, like you said, a weird obsession with Spain. Um, okay. and I always thought of myself living in Spain and Barcelona in particular. And, oh, funny. um, my wife and I had always talked about, um, living abroad if possible and not really sure how it would work. We were looking at options of, um, you know, as, as a freelance, composer um, you can do things like artist visas and and um, stuff like that 
but she just got a, a really cool opportunity to um, to relocate, and we were just like, let's do it. So we brought our small dog with us, Milo, and um, really the only things that we brought with us were my studio uh, stuff, of course. So, wow. <laughs> so yeah. So it's been it's been amazing. I mean, it's a beautiful city. The people here are 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 just really kind and um, it's very inspiring place to be. Wow. That's awesome. Did the dog, now how does that work with the dog? Did Milo have to quarantine or anything or is that a thing of the past? He didn't have to, he's quite small. So luckily he just had to, um, uh, he was just able to sit at our feet on the flight over, but he did have to get um, his own little like uh, FDA passport thing where he gets like approval from, approval to be shipped and <laughs> yeah he just he just went to sleep and woke up in Spain he's got a great life <laughs> oh I love that what a fun adventure neat cool yeah it's been awesome so going to London for well when did you do Abbey Road I assume that would have been at, at the latest last year sometime uh gosh it was uh, it was actually two years ago so oh, okay we, we, yeah so you didn't live yeah, there then and it yeah. was in august yeah so it was it was before before all this move hmm. um yes yeah, so we we yeah that was august so i can't believe it's been two years already it's wild yeah. wild and there's still so much to do on the game and, and obviously with the sort of system that we had set up it was really a lot of editing work after that that was right. um that was important yeah I mean, what what more do you want to say about anything? Lamplighters League, or, or well, mostly the Lamplighters League. It was just such a such a pleasant uh, soundtrack, just a really enjoyable experience. Uh, that means a lot, especially coming from you, Emily. It's really good to hear that. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was it was it was a labor of love. Yeah, it was it was really one of those projects where. Um, you know, the, the prompt of, you know, the brief of what the project is, is just so exciting. You know, the, the, the era, the genre, the pulpiness of it, the, the sort of tongue in cheek, uh, comedy, but seriousness, the occult stuff, the touchstones of Indiana Jones and, and the mummy and other, other scores like that. It was just like such a cool, fun thing as a composer to be able to, sink my teeth into and have fun with it uh, for the past half decade now. Uh, So it's been cool. Yeah, crazy. Awesome. Well, John, thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it, Emily. For listening to Level with Emily. You can learn more about John Everest at levelwithemily.com.
Com or at patreon.com slash level. Check out the video of my chat with John on the Level with Emily YouTube channel. Please subscribe and get notifications, all that stuff. I'm Emily Reese. Sam Keenan is our producer. Say hi, Sam. Yo. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Level with Emily. Learn more about us at levelwithemily.com, made possible by Adam Selvage at Tiki Web Services. Level with Emily is a production of June Media, Inc. Here at Level with Emily, we're part of the Audio Podcast Alliance. It features a hand-picked selection of the very best podcasts about sound. You can hear the latest episodes from our friends in the community at audiopodcast.org.